men are also impure. So that part is widely ignored. I decided to follow that. So if a guy tried to shake my hand, I would have to say, well, have you have you issued seed in the last 24 hours? And if they had, I'm like, <laughs> sorry, you know. So. Okay, now this is a classic episode in the making, if there is such a thing. I love my varied episodes and weird and strange and wonderful people, as you know. It's what gives me some sort of spice of life variation. I love talking to all different kinds of people. There's been a bit of a move towards cults and defectors of cults recently. That was always ingrained in the show. My first ever episode was a former Westboro Baptist church member. My third was an ex-Hasidic Jew and the ninth was an ex-Muslim. But I've dipped into culture wars and weird and strange people and things back and forward and I'm delighted that you guys have stuck with me for these sort of surprising and different guests each week. Most podcasts tend to be a bit more niche. Uh, and somebody who defies niche is is today's guest AJ Jacobs uh, and he just blew my mind he was actually mentioned to me by James Altucher and his producer Jay who told me hey have you interviewed AJ he lived for a year like the bible and I just laughed and thought like you know I got to talk to this guy and sure enough I read his book The Year of Living Biblically and it was just amazing an absolute riot so so funny laugh out loud but also really moving and existential because he really takes on that life of somebody who takes the Bible literally for a year he really considers what it means to be literal about the Bible and it's a beautiful book you long-suffering listeners will know that every now and then I just get a bit do-lally over a guest. I become a bit of a sycophant. I am sorry about that. And that's sort of the case today. But we're talking about a guy who lived for a year in such a way that he couldn't touch women he met. He stoned someone in the park for adultery, I think it was, and, and learned a lot about faith and our need to believe along the way. So this is somebody who really takes his work seriously, really immerses himself in it. And I just love that passion. Follow AJ Jacobs on Twitter. Get the Year of Living Biblically. Check out his other works such as My Life as an Experiment, The Know-It-All about reading the entire encyclopedia, and The Puzzler, his most recent one about the power of puzzles. He really is a journalist who goes all into his work. Support this podcast, by the way, on patreon.com slash andrewgold. I'll read out a couple of shout-outs at the end. I could have just done that now. It would have taken up less space than saying I was going to shout out the people that I haven't yet done and I'm going to do at the end. Uh, that would have been less space to do now. Uh, and I'd already, I'd already be on the next topic by now. But there you go. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts as well. It's really helpful. Coming up is part two or three or whatever it is with James Altucher. We have a great chat at his home in Georgia. And then the founder of the Aryan Brotherhood, a racist prison gang, drops in for a two-part chat. And there are some big, big names coming up as well. I've got a lawyer looking over one particular famous person's episode. But now... You're on the edge of living biblically with my new friend, AJ Jacobs. So, what does it mean to live biblically for a year? Well, the way I did it, uh, it was fascinating, it was awkward, sometimes painful, Uh and what I did was I just decided to write down every rule that I could find in the Bible, mostly the Old Testament, um, but there are some in the New Testament. And I wanted to follow them all without picking and choosing. And there are hundred, we're talking over 700 rules I found. So I wanted to follow the famous ones like the Ten Commandments and 
love your neighbor, be fruitful and multiply. And I did have, I had twin sons during the year, so I took it very seriously. But I also wanted to follow the hundreds of rules that don't get a lot of publicity. So the Bible says you cannot wear, you can't shave the corners of your beard. That's Leviticus. And I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow. And I had this huge topiary on my chin. Um, the Hebrew scriptures say you should stone adulterers. So I decided I would do that. And I, I did finally check that off my list. I used very small stones, like pebble size, so I didn't go to jail. But yeah, I just decided to follow everything in the Bible as literally as possible. Man, there are so many questions I've got. And I think anybody, as soon as, I mean, you must have experienced this whenever somebody hears that, it's like straight away, they must have so many follow-up questions. And I wonder, is is that the question you get most about the adulterers, the stoning? Stoning is such a visceral act that we want to know. Like, what was that? How did you do that? Yes, I do get a lot. And I didn't just stone adulterers, by the way. I also stoned astrologers, because that in the Bible and... Um, <laughs> You know, I have I have a lot of gay friends. I had to stone one or two of them. So, okay. but yeah, the the adulterer one. Just you know, before I explain why I did this, just quickly tell you, I was I was really getting into it. So I I was looking the part. I had the beard. I I was wearing a robe, and I was in Central Park. I live in New York, and this guy came up to me and said, "What's going on? Why are you dressed like that?" And I said, "Well." I'm trying to follow every rule in the Bible from the Ten Commandments to stoning adulterers. And he says, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And I said, that'd be awesome. Like, <laughs> I was like, thank you for the offer. And I took out stones from my pocket and my robe because I had been carrying them around for weeks, hoping to run into an adult. And I showed them to him. And they were very small, as I said. But he was very aggressive. And he grabbed the stones out of my hand and threw them at my face. So I thought, an eye for an eye, also in the Old Testament, I can throw one back at him. So that's how I, I stoned an adulterer. Okay, so what level of sincerity are we on here? So he's been aggressive, but is he is he mock aggressive? And no. is he aware? I, oh, no, he's so go on, tell me what's going on. Oh, yeah, this was, I mean, it, it sounds, uh, you know, trivial maybe, and, and like a lark, but he was angry. He was angry. Also, I should mention, he seemed like he was in his 70s, maybe early 80s. So, but he was, he was quite offensive, offended, as was the astrologer when I, because for that one, I kind of walked by, she had like, she was on the sidewalk, they have those astrology, and I walked by and just like dropped a stone, a pebble on her, um, on her shoe, thinking she wouldn't even notice. And she's oh. like, what, what, what are you doing? And I had to be, Honest was part of my journey. He was trying to be as t honest as possible. And I was like, well, in the Bible, it says you should stone astrologers. It's a capital offense. And, and she did not think that was amusing. She was pissed. She was yelling at me and screaming. And I, I've seen your documentary, so I know that you've gotten that too <laughs> from, the, <laughs> from the priest. So yeah, it's not, it's not pleasant. Um, but it was part of, you know, it was fascinating. It's part of the journey. I had it from the religious side, whereas you were the religious side. So, That's true. so when you say you had to be honest, so here's the thing: you know, if you're if you're told by a friend when you're younger or whatever, or maybe you can be older, I don't know, to go and do a dare. The whole point of the dare, so like, go up to that table uh, at the restaurant and take some of their food and don't say anything. But if you go over 
as I remember a particular Seinfeld scene in a, I think it was a Chinese restaurant. And if you go over and you say like, hey, I'm doing this because my friend has dared me, then it's a bit easier. So when you said I'm doing it because of the Bible, were you all saying because I'm a journalist and a, a writer and I'm writing this book where I have to immerse myself in this world? Yes, sometimes I try to be transparent, um, but sometimes you don't have time. Like, you know, I didn't <laughs> have time to explain to the astrologer what was going on or... Or if I just have to say what's on my mind. So it varies. It, it definitely varies. Sometimes you're just in it and you, you know, you have to commit. What led to this desire to write this, this book? And I mean, this is one of your many books. This is the year of living biblically. Um, and you just done one about the encyclopedia as well. What led to, to Bible stuff? Well, the Bible came about for well first of all it came about because i grew up with no religion at all i uh i'm very secular uh, uh i think we have sort of a similar thing i am yeah i say in my book uh i'm jewish in the same way the olive garden is italian so not very i had to look that up that reference I don't oh know yeah what it's not quite is. british yeah i'm sorry <laughs> about that <laughs> That's right. no translations for us but I wanted to know, you know, I was fast. I thought religion would sort of wither away and we'd all embrace this enlightenment rationalism, which did not seem to happen. So the motivation, I think, was twofold. The one was satirical and one was earnest. Well, the satirical part was sort of, I wanted to, uh, poke fun at fundamentalism because I, there are millions of people in, in America, yeah, a, a huge percentage, who say they take the Bible literally, and that's why homosexuality is a sin. That's why the earth was created 5,000 years ago. And it seemed to me and many others that they are not taking the Bible literally. They're taking parts of the Bible literally, but they are ignoring wide patches of other parts of the Bible. So they are not stoning adulterers, and they are not... Um, forbidding women from talking in church. I guess some of them do that. So, um, so I thought, well, like, what if you actually followed everything in the Bible literally? What would that look like? Almost reductio ad absurdum. And, uh, and so that was part of it to just show fundamentalism and literalism is a bad way to approach this text. But the second reason was a little more earnest, which was I really didn't understand why billions of people embraced religion. Uh, like to me, it was like the tooth fairy. Like it just seems so odd. So I was like, what am I missing? What I wanted to have a more empathetic view, a more nuanced view of, you know, what they're not. It's not like they're all dumb. It's like, so what am I missing? What, what, what are, what, what in religion is good that maybe I could take for my own life? Um, even if I remain secular. I think I think that's like, it's a really um, difficult line to tread and you do it perfectly. And I think that's why I loved it so much. Um, and, and I think it's it's a, a real talent to, to be able to do something like this, which is clearly has some element of, um, I don't want to use the word mocking because you weren't mocking, but then at the same time to take it very seriously. So it's still funny to read. There are loads of funny passages, um, but then it's really interesting to see you actually go. But can I? Can I enjoy that? Can I? Can I get something from from this? Did you? Did you get something? What did you get from it? 
I did. I do. And I think it changed my life for the better. And by the way, that saint right back at you. That's why I love your work is that you, uh, I think, uh, tread the line so beautifully. Uh, but yeah, I would say one of my, one of my, uh, spiritual advisors. So I had spiritual advice, like rabbis, ministers, priests, atheists, scholars. And one of them said that religion can be broken up into the three B's belief, belonging, and behavior. So belief, belief in God, belonging, being part of a community, and behavior is either ethical behavior, like no, no trying not to gossip, or rituals, which are a big part of religion. So to me, um, the belief never, at, at moments, I did have these moments where like, I could sort of understand belief in God, um, because I was praying so much, uh, and uh, if you act in a certain way, then you start to believe it. So, but that did not stick around for for the good. But, but the other two Bs, I think, are something that uh, that have real value to me. So, you know, being in a community, I feel I'm not the first to say it, but like, <laughs> you know, we are. Society now is very atomized, individualized, and, and we're missing that community, bowling alone and all that. And then, um, and then, and then the, yeah, the behavior, like having this, uh, these rituals, especially of gratitude. And I wrote a whole other book about gratitude that was sort of inspired by this because the Bible does say, you know, over and over, gotta be grateful, gotta be grateful. So there were, yeah, yeah, there were lots of things that, um, that I think uh, uh, made me less, made me more understanding of this way of life. And, um, you know, it's, it's not black and white. I still think that, uh, you know, religion is a tool and it can do incredible amounts of damage. And, and I'm worried that that it's going to continue to do incredible amounts of damage. But I also see the beauty of these communities and these rituals and and, and I, I'm sort of in the camp of um, you know I, more like can we have these rituals and meaning imbue life with meaning but still remain a naturalist uh, like not not believe in the supernatural when you went to see then like say um, a high rabbi um, so they call them high there's a high priest isn't it a high rabbi sounds like he's taken drugs or something so they say high rabbis <laughs> a high up rabbi right yeah, yeah well there's you... there's lots of rumors that uh you know moses was uh was you know that the burning bush was thc it was like some sort of mar marijuana bush and that's why he had these hallucinations of the ten commandments i don't know you know that's that's speculation <laughs> but but he was a high rabbi if you will Okay, and then a high rabbi in, in potentially more senses than one. Then, uh, when you're going to speak to these people uh, or other religious people, is there sort of do you have these two minds, two sort of things in your mind pulling at each other? One is sort of saying, "Come on, be respectful, try and take on this thing," and then is the other bit going like, "Come on, you've just got a form of obsessive compulsive disorder or something to have to because there does seem to be some OCD. I had OCD quite bad as a teenager myself, so I'm not making light of it for anyone listening who suffers with it." Uh, but, but do you have those two things going back and forward? That is a great question. Oh, first of all, I too had OCD and still have it. And, and I do think religion, there's a big overlap, especially Judaism. There's sort of an overlap between OCD and Judaism. But, um, 
I would say I would, um, I, I tried at least to be as epistemically humble as I could, uh, because I do think that, you know, I, I don't, I, I do pride, ironically, I'm proud of being humble. I am, uh, I'm proud. That, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that works, but I am proud that uh, I, I think one of the dangers of, uh, and you talk about this on the podcast all the time is, is being, is certainty is such a, you know, a dangerous, and the irony is a lot of these people I was talking to were so certain of their point of view. And so almost maybe to, distinguish myself from them, I would try to, you know, go the other way and be open-minded, you know, not so open-minded that I I bought their stuff, but I would be open-minded as to, you know, trying to understand their point of view. What, how did you go about it then? Was are we talking Old Testament and New Testament? Is it Christ, Judo, Christ, what do you call it? Christio Judeo. What's the word for that? Judeo-Christianity is one. But yeah, I, I focus, since I am officially Jewish, I focus mostly on the Old Testament because that is where most of the rules are. But I also went, did the New Testament. And one of my favorite parts was meeting people from, you know, 20 different backgrounds to s- see how they interpreted the Bible literally. So going to Jerry Falwell's church to see evangelical Christians. I went to snake handlers. I went to, um, you know, super Orthodox Jews. Um, one of my favorites was Jehovah Witness, um, which is hard because in New York, they don't knock on your door. I, I, I guess they don't let them in the building. So I had to call and ask them to come over. And I am, uh, again, maybe uh, pr- too prideful, but I'm I'm proud because I might be the only person who out-Bible-talked a Jehovah Witness. He came (laughs) over, and I was so interested. I was asking him questions for three hours. And after three hours, he just looks at his watch. He's like, I got to go. Like, (laughs) you're tiring me out. So I I drove him into the ground. But yeah, I mean, I was just fascinated. So I loved, that was a big part of it, was meeting people and seeing how they interpreted the Bible literally. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
I had a therapist who did a similar thing with me once. I think they were just tired of hearing me talk. They were like, you've graduated. You're fine. I was like, really? Are you sure? They're like, you're, I think you need to move on to the next thing. And I've heard once I've told, said that, quite a few people have said similar things. I think. I mean, I, I can't think of a, a, a more boring job than being, being a therapist, I think. Because at least if you're, if you're a hairdresser, or a podcaster or an interviewer, you can be a bit gossipy and salacious. Right. Whereas a therapist, you just sit and nod and, oh. Oh, that is so, well, I'm sorry he fired you, but maybe it was good. Maybe it was good. <laughs> I will tell you, I went to one therapist um, and to deal with my, my inability to say no. I sometimes have trouble breaking things off when when they should have been broken off. and And I really... Like this was an example of maybe how it was not a successful therapy because I wrote a, a letter to the therapist saying, all right, I think I'm, I'm good. I've now learned how to say no, so I don't need to, but I couldn't even do it in person. That's how wimpy I was. You couldn't so break I, up with your therapist. Do you, yeah. It's such a funny thing, isn't it? Because I guess a lot of people listening, and I, and I have, I used to be afraid to talk about this, but I've learned with the podcast that although there's a lot of sort of anti-Semitism on the, the far left and far right, if you've got a most, mostly centrist audience, I think people are really intrigued about secular Jewish people. I, 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 at least that's my experience with it. And I've never met you, AJ, before, and I like a magician about to do a trick but um <laughs> i we've just emailed and stuff and yet uh everything you've said so far and everything i've said i think we relate with two i'm from london you're from new york we're both secular jewish people what where does that come from what's happening here did we just grow up watching larry david and seinfeld or or is that what's happened that is a good question because yeah i don't i did not go to temple as a kid and i didn't but i i think yeah culturally jewish as you say uh you know, I watched, like you said, Larry David. And, uh, I mean, I do love, I don't love the Jewish food, but I do love like the outsider status of, uh, being a Jew, like, you know, being able to look at society and sort, sort of be like, oh, that's odd. And, and of course, it's not just Jew, you know, that's what any, any marginalized group can do that. But, uh, yeah, it is weird. It is weird how, how similar we seem to be even though yeah. Uh, yeah different parts of the world i know what you're saying it's you're right it's not just if i meet uh, somebody who's got like a greek family or a hindu family you know that kind of thing uh, often i find a lot of similarities as well i suppose but that particular the neurosis part does seem to be particularly um jewish and, and maybe even as we're talking about the hasidic judaism and that kind of uh, ocd kind of thing it sort of spills into that very religious side as well i wonder i always think like i've actually almost got more uh respect or i understand more when they do take the bible literally because i sort of feel like look if you believe it's what god wrote then surely you have to take it serious. And I don't, I've never, what do you think of that? Because I've, I've never understood people who say, no, no, sensible people understand that you should just pick and choose. And that never made any sense to me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. And I totally understand that. Like, yeah, you want to be consistent. And in a sense, um, I will say I have gotten, I have become okay with, uh, like two of the ways I put it. One is, you know, cherry picking what, maybe is not a bad thing as long as you pick the right cherries. 
So there are cherries in the Bible about compassion and loving your neighbor and embracing the outcasts. But there are also cherries about don't lie with a man like you'd lie with a woman and, and stone adulterers. And, and if two men are in a fight and the wife of one of those women grabs the testicles of the other man, then her hand shall be cut off. That's a cherry in the Bible. That's one we can leave on the table. Uh, How often I mean, did that used to happen? Well, <laughs> that they had to make a rule for it. Isn't that crazy? My theory, I don't have any proof, is that whoever was writing that part of Leviticus, like, Last The week before, he had been in a fight and the wife of the guy grabbed his balls and he's like, that is yeah. never going to happen. Like, God is going to say <laughs> that this is... A, and I will tell you that it's a bizarre little passage, but it's also very enlightening because I brought it up to my Orthodox Jewish aunt uh, and I said, you know, what do you make of this passage? And first she said, that's not in the Bible. And I was like, it's in the, so I got it out and I showed it to her. And she says, that's weird. Let me ask my rabbi. And then she came back a week later and she said, all right, I talked to my rabbi and he said, well, that passage is not really about grabbing the other guy's balls. It's about don't humiliate the other person. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. Then how about they say, don't humiliate the other person. Like, why do they got, why do they have to go through the testicle thing? And, um, and I asked uh, several rabbis that. And, and one answer is, you know, that, um, that life is, uh, life is a puzzle. Life puzzles wouldn't be fun if you were just given the puzzle and it was already all solved. So that the Bible is more like a puzzle and it's filled with riddles and you have to wrestle with it. So I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with that answer but uh i thought it was an interesting way to look at it see that annoys me to me <laughs> like i respect someone who is a fundamentalist like go and like god wrote it god wrote don't do the testicle thing it doesn't mean humiliation it means the testicle thing in your mind god wrote that and that's it that thing of cherry pick it that's to me that's an admission that it's a little bit like i was doing one on uh, a podcast on conspiracy theories recently and i found that people are more people who believe the moon landings were faked are also more likely to believe that we've hidden structures on the other side of the moon i listened to that podcast i love that one it's michael Shermer. yeah that was hilarious <laughs> oh man i love that i love that and so to me it's the same thing it's like you believe it's the word of god but you also believe you can ignore certain ones because they don't fit with you like no go and do the stone someone in a park <laughs> you know do it i'll have more respect for you because i just think the rest of it but I don't know. I, I just hey, how was it for and, and when you do these projects because you, you know you're you're a journalist. What, what does one call that? Like an all encompassing, like a Sasha Baron Cohen. What's, yeah, what's the, the word for that? Well, there are various words. There's immersion journalism, experiential method, like method acting, stunt journalism, whatever. Uh, uh, there are all sorts immersion, of things. Immersion, immersive. Uh, I like immersion. That sounds good. Immersing. Yeah. Immersion. It reminds me of a heater. There's like an immersion heater, and it stuck in my mind because i accidentally turned it on in my mum's house and left it on for like months and it cost loads of money and now <laughs> the immersion heater is, <laughs> is is seared into my psyche so um, it has a negative connotation all right yeah 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 immersion journalism uh what is what is that like for your family what's that like for your wife i mean does she know when when she met you is like that's just how, that's just how he is well she did know what she was getting into because yeah she we met at a um we both worked at a magazine and i had already done a little bit of this but she 
thankfully does not just you know, you know go along with it. She's she puts up a lot of uh, you know pushback, which is good for the book because people do like conflict. So one example from the Bible book is that in Leviticus it says. As you, as you know, you can't touch women when they're menstruating because then they're impure. But if you take Leviticus really literally, it also says that if a woman sits in a seat, then the seat becomes impure. And so my wife found that offensive. So she sat in every seat in our apartment and I had to stand for basically the entire year. I actually, I bought a little seat of purity, my own little portable seat so that I could carry it around and sit anywhere. But yeah, she definitely pushes back. Oh, one other thing, just while we're on the purity. Um, the the purity rules are still followed somewhat by some uh, groups of Orthodox Jews. But the part that is not followed is the Bible also says that men can be impure. So for a day after you... Uh, uh, after you ejaculate, men are also impure. So that part is widely ignored. I decided to follow that. So if a guy tried to shake my hand, I would have to say, well, have you, have you issued seed in the last 24 hours? And if they had, I'm like, sorry, you know. So, so I felt in that sense, the Bible is a little more progressive, a little, uh, you know, more gender neutral uh, yeah. than uh, than is practiced now. That's so funny. I laughed so many times reading your book. And uh, in, in particular, because about your, your wife is a source of comedy for the book as well, because she goes and sits in all the seats so you can't sit anywhere and then acts a bit uh, nonchalant about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was just at, well, I'll tell you, I'm not supposed to talk about it much, but I'm actually right now in the middle of a s sort of a sequel to the Year of Living Biblically. It's called the Year of Living Constitutionally because it's the idea is that now in America and the Supreme Court, we have most of them are originalists. They believe we should follow the Constitution as they're very literal, and and that's why Roe v. Wade, the abortion, uh, was overturned because it's not literally in the Constitution. Uh, so I was just uh, out. It's it's election day in America, and I was just out trying. First, I tried to exercise my election my my vote the way they voted in the 1780s, which was by voice. It was not a secret ballot. It was the opposite. You would go there and you would announce who you're voting for because it was actually considered um, better because then you wouldn't vote for your selfish interests. You were voting for the community. So it's an interest. But then the other part of voting in America in the 1780s is everyone was wasted. Everyone was like they would hand out rum punch and uh, everyone got drunk. So I was just out there handing out rum punch. And Julie, my wife, was with me, supporting me in that effort. So sometimes she can be supportive. Man, we're also similar in having supportive uh, partners called Julie. Isn't that funny? That is funny. That is yeah. lovely. There you go. But my, mine is pronounced um, Juli. So that's the slight difference. It's the only thing. Julieta. But uh, so when you're doing that, right? 
and and this is this is maybe a differing point because I don't know if I could do it. You're t- I imagine you're turning up then at a polling station or whatever uh, uh, to vote and sort of just shouting out. Who uh, are you not embarrassed? And the same with the religious stuff. Are you, do you get that embarrassment? I totally yes. I mean, I I try to treat I try to treat it in two ways. One as like it's not me doing this. I'm, I'm a character like Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, I could never do what he does. He's like you know takes it way farther, and he's a genius. But I I try to get a little of that. I'm in character, and I also genuinely try to remind myself, and perhaps I'm deluding myself, that it's for the greater good. Like, I do have a point with this Constitution book that we should not take the Constitution so literally. So I'm like, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to look like an idiot. But um, but when the book comes out, you know, maybe it'll do a tiny, tiny bit of good. Yeah. And it's nice to write a book, isn't it? Because what else would we all be doing if we didn't do stuff? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I like I like having projects, as do you. Um, <laughs> by the way, can I just ask? Because I I loved the Exorcism movie, um, and what were your thoughts? Because I I get asked this a lot. Like, do the people really believe what they're saying, or is it all just a hoax? My sense from meeting is that most people are not scammers, that they genuinely believe it. And even if they don't believe it in the beginning, they learn to believe it as they as they do it. Um, but the guy who, claimed, the, the skeptic that you interviewed who said, oh, it's all about money. Like, what's your take on that? I think it's, I think, and I thought about it for so many years. And I mean, the truth is that, that we don't know, do we? And I do know someone, um, a friend of my mum's who's a psychic, and she says she's a psychic, and I don't believe in that stuff. But that she has no reason to lie. So she must really believe it. Um, I had someone on the podcast who had, um, she had a podcast about uh, a mafia of psychics who, there was a psychic who admitted that in the 70s, I think it was, he would, uh, there was like a, a a fact file or something on loads of people who go to see psychics so all the psychics would share information on there about others so they knew and you call them eyes open and then there's eyes closed ones and i've got a suspicion that the majority as you say are sort of somewhere between the two it's some sort of it's that thing of believing two things at once i think that exorcist he sort of deep down probably knew that he was fake and you know and a phony and was just taking people's money and he probably got like a, a dopamine injection whenever he got more money and things like that from the from the from people donating and stuff uh and then he probably told himself oh the reason i feel good about that is because i've saved a life and you know the mind's so complicated isn't it you can sort of convince yourself of all this stuff but i mean yeah it was hard being around him though because he just had this face that um i i found um annoying and it's difficult because like you, I want to go in and be like objective and like, hey, who knows what I might see and what might right. happen. But also, I really don't like this guy, you know? <laughs> well, that's true. He did seem, yeah. He, he, well, you know what I thought was it was his arrogance. I did not like yeah. his arrogance. And, um, you know, his we were mm. the opposite of epistemic humility. Like he's like, his yeah. way is the right way. And, and how dare you question anything he uh, he says? Yeah, but if you do, if if there is like devils and stuff and Dracula and Satan and stuff, I do want my priests and exorcists to go in feeling quite arrogant and sure. <laughs> you know. 
That is true. You don't <laughs> want to be like, maybe the devil is out. Maybe it's in. You're right. You're yeah. right. I don't want no. my priest seeing a therapist, you know, and being a bit like Woody Allen <laughs> and going like, well, I don't know. I feel like I could vanquish the devil today, but let's see, see how things go. I want him to be on it and to be honest right and this was it again you know that sort of style we're talking about of journalism there's nothing more boring than going into something with like these these ideas you already have fixed ideas and just like okay well now that's the book or that's the documentary the thing i already thought was going to happen happened so going in it was like okay what what's interesting and what can be different and i think it was just amazing to see the power of placebo or suggestion or whatever it was and to see that people really got better and they probably wouldn't have gotten better if he wasn't all in and really mm. like pushing and shoving and going crazy and doing the whole performance. So, so I, I, I guess, you know, I'm happy that he is like that. And also I got to make a documentary because he was such a <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> well, that is very true, but you're right. Yeah. The placebo, I mean, that was another area of religion that, you know, that, that I hadn't thought about, but that, yeah, prayer, I don't believe that it heals others, but it certainly can be good for the person who's doing the praying. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. How did that? How and I, I think there's like like there's writing on that, isn't it? There's loads of uh, sports players who do visualization, and, and it's sort of like prayer, and it can help them perform better. What about with your praying? Because I know at the beginning of the book you were sort of struggling with it. How did how did prayer go? Yeah, prayer was hard for me because, as I say in the book, I, I you know I just didn't say the words God or Lord unless it was like Lord of the Rings, uh, and. But, uh, but I had to actually do it. The Bible, it depends on what part of the Bible, but it says you have to pray several times a day. So I would, I would pray. Um, and, and the ones that, as I mentioned, that really did feel like they were doing something was the prayers of Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, I took that as, as literally into the extreme as possible. So I would, I would press the elevator button. And I would be thankful the elevator came to the lobby. I'd get in the elevator and I'd be thankful it didn't plummet to the basement and break my collarbone. And like, so every moment of the day, and it was, it was weird. It was a little exhausting, but it was also wonderful because it does drive home that there are hundreds of things that go right every day, every moment that we totally take for granted. And we focus on the three or four that go wrong. Like the number of things that have to go right for a plane to take off and land is just mind boggling. So I do love that uh, as a, I, I don't say, you know, I, I don't pray, but I would say that is the secular prayer, like before a meal, you know, thanking all of the hundreds of people who participated in, in making this meal possible, the farmer, the grocer, the trucker, the people who made the asphalt for the road so the truck could drive, blah, and on and on and on. So that was helpful. I, I'm just imagining somebody getting on a plane now hearing what you just said and just thinking, God, I better start praying. <laughs> how many things had to go right again, AJ, for this to work? Oh, that's oh, terrible. I, that's the opposite of what I want. But yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It is scary. I get really scared on planes and stuff. I used to pray when I was like, uh, I think I became an atheist when I was like four, right? Or like as long as I remember, like not four, but you know what I mean. But even so, when I went to soccer or football matches to support my team, I would sort of, I wanted them to win so badly that I would sort of close my eyes and be like, come on, just if you can make them score now, I'll like start believing stuff. Um, and unfortunately, I supported not a very good team. So I don't think it ever converted me. But like the cause and correlation thing, had it been a good team, but then I might not have started praying in the first place. So. 
<laughs> there that's you the go. <laughs> but that is they all, that's an interesting. Maybe if you want to raise a religious kid, yeah, you pick the best team, and then they can follow that team and say, "Pray for them to win." And then when they win, it's like there, there you go. Exactly. An and if they occasionally lose, you can just say like, well, God has to test you sometimes. Um, were, you, were you ever in uh, a danger or, or, of, of becoming religious, of losing yourself down this narrative? Well, there were times, as I said, like when I was praying that I would feel something. And, I, you know, I do, I have done, you know, ecstasy and uh and I did have what I would consider some semi-mystical feeling of the oneness of the universe, the ego dissolving, all of that, which I love. That's a good feeling. Um, and I felt that also towards the end of the book, um, I was, you know, a scene of like dancing with my, you know, my, my son who was like four years old. And I had this, you know, just waves of joy and uh so I, I mean it doesn't make me think that there is anything beyond the natural world like i don't think that it is proof that there is something supernatural but i do think it's a powerful human experience and one that i i would like and and i feel i am very i'm very wary of losing control of anything i don't i'm a control freak in that way and and maybe this, these mystical experiences, you do have to give up some control. And, uh, and I, it's hard for me, but I do think it maybe is a good thing and I should try to do it more. I don't know. What do you think? Have you ever had? It's a really interesting point, um, that you're making actually, because I'm all, I'm often obviously, you know, doing a lot of interviews about cults in particular, which are different to religions, of course, for several sort of vaguely subtle reasons and this crossover and stuff. Um, people are often asked, you know, what kind of person gets into a cult? And, you know, the first answer is always, you know, well, quite intelligent people, just like with religion, as you were saying earlier, really intelligent people can, and, and on both sides of the things. So it's like, what is it? And I do wonder if that, uh, that controlling element, that need to control, can sometimes prevent you. And I guess it can work the other way. Maybe some people want to control others, but those are maybe the the abusive people in the cults, you know. But that need to have control over my life. I was the same with drugs and things. If I took any drugs when I was younger, because uh, some drugs they don't really start to take effect until you've relaxed. And I would just be like, "Is it working yet? <laughs> just don't <laughs> stop tensing every muscle in my body because I don't want it to work," you know. And regretting having taken it immediately after because what's going to happen to me? Uh, so that similar thing. And and I, I guess there's all that talk, isn't there, in cults and religions, and also Alcoholics Anonymous and things like that of giving yourself up to a higher power and you know i can't give myself up to a higher power and i can't have i wouldn't want somebody else to give themselves up to me i just don't want everyone to just do their thing and relax and you know so <laughs> I, right you well know. And, and i think that there are huge dangers in giving it us and you know and and being suckered into a cult is one of them or you know QAnon and so yeah, I, it's certainly not an, un, an unalloyed good to surrender yourself. Um, and I'm still very wary of it. I'm still very controlling, especially in my beliefs. Like I really try to be, you know, if I sort of get swept away, feel myself being swept away into like, oh, that has to be true. I step back and say, well, how do I know that has to be true? What is the evidence? You know, that I feel, um strongly about is like yeah. not giving you've been swept control. away by that concept 
Yes, I have been swept <laughs> away by skepticism. I have, I have, <laughs> I have surrendered it myself is, to skepticism. I mean, I joke about that, but it, it is something that, like, some listeners, uh, particularly religious ones, uh, critique me for. They, you know, they you're, you're so fervent in your disbelief or whatever, and and also all you can say, I guess, is, oh, "Well, you're right. Maybe, or well, maybe you're right. I don't, I don't know. Please don't keep shouting at me." <laughs> yeah i mean i i'm not that for i i guess i'm fervent in that i have i i'll believe things when i see evidence for them and i you know so since i have not seen evidence for uh anything supernatural that has convinced me that but who knows you know i i don't want to say i guess i do like agnosticism even though it gets a bad rap as like being fence straddlers uh and like you know choose a side but i don't know i think uh there's something to be said for agnosticism i think the thing my, my problem with agnosticism because because I've, I've spoken about it a bit on the show before and again people comment because i say i'm an atheist and they'll say you're from what you've said you're clearly an agnostic and i sort of feel like well, well maybe then but but i guess it's that was it dawkins the flying spaghetti monster it's like well i'm i'm just as agnostic about the flying spaghetti monster or that maybe the sky is actually you know a different color to what it looks like and i'm standing on my head right now but i just feel like i'm you know literally anything someone says i can't disprove it and i don't want to be a jerk about it and also i don't want to be a militant atheist about it and try to try to dissuade others who who might need or, or use religion so well you know what you know. i i'm gonna i'm gonna change my mind um i also don't think atheist is a very good word because it's so negative it's like i prefer you know sean carroll the physicist talks about um naturalism which is yeah i believe in the natural world and i believe you know, if, if I, if science reveals something that is weird, you know, and it has quantum mechanics is very weird, then I'm, I'm happy to believe it, but I'm a naturalist in that I believe there is a natural world. Um, but atheism, yeah, and it has such a negative connotation and maybe agnosticism is too wishy, uh, wishy-washy. So, all right. So, I'm switching to naturalist. We're we're naturalists. My only problem with naturalists is is it. I like the I like the concept, and the, the, you know, I don't I don't know if I like the word because it it could it sounds like like a nudist uh, or a gardener. <laughs> it is. That's so true that the nudists <laughs> use naturalists. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's problem. Well, I don't know what. Uh, Humanist? I'm going to think human. Well, no, because I'm not a humanist because I believe, you know, sentient, all sentient beings uh, are people, uh, are yeah. thing, not people, but, you know, I'm, I certainly do believe. So I don't know. Oh, you know what? There is a friend of mine who started a, uh, uh, a movement called sentientism, sentientism, sentientism. So maybe that's, maybe that's a better way to go about it. I don't know. Okay. I like that. We can be sentientists. <laughs> well, the other thing is, I actually, maybe we should not have noun. Like, I don't think nouns as calling other humans nouns is a great thing, uh, aside from being human. Like, I would rather be like, I, some of my beliefs are natural, uh, as opposed to I am a naturalist or I am okay. an atheist or something. We're going to get like into that. identity politics, AJ. <laughs> oh <laughs> because, my God. because that's that's the thing, isn't it? 
twi- I think the same thing. You go on Twitter, and it's often. I know Twitter doesn't represent the whole world, but it's you know, uh, it will have like six or seven different things on one person's profile to say what they are, and it, and it could be just like Harry Potter fan, but it could also be trans something, or it could be this particular religion and, and and wouldn't it be nice like you're saying if it could just be like i like doing the i love fishing uh i love soccer you know those kinds instead of am words agree and i also i tell that to my kid like when they say you know this person is an asshole i say <laughs> let's not call let's say that in this instance they acted in an assholeish manner mm-hmm. and that is true but Maybe in another instance, they would be very kind. So that, I that's just feel big. it's... <laughs> that's big. No, no, that is because that's something I had to learn, I think, in therapy uh, over the years of just like, uh, you, if, if you say to someone, like, you are a bit of this, you, do, you are that, you are, you know, you're just putting them in a box and it's not fair and it's just your opinion and they don't have a chance you know, it's like that is cultish it's thought terminating you say to someone you are that there's no there's no way back from that because if they argue out of it they can't get out of that and it's just a, it's a boring way to live so i think it's always good yeah that that com- i didn't find that comedy funny is another one instead of like it wasn't funny. i love that yes i actually think all reviewers should be forced to use mm-hmm. like they can't you can't say you know that um uh, that uh, whatever the latest Pixar movie is genius. You could say, I found it wonderful. And it really appealed to me. Uh, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's not like, there's no objective aesthetic. I, I mean, people, some people argue there is, but I just find that very hard to believe. That's a, that's a, that's a whole podcast episode onto itself, isn't it? Sort of the uh, object, objectivity or subjectivity of beauty or comedy or art. Hey, tell me what were the, Amish people like they were quite they had a bit of a sense of humor that was surprising yes I went down to Pennsylvania uh, to visit the Amish and stay with uh, a man named Amos Smucker and uh, yeah I was very surprised because he broke stereotypes and he told Amish jokes which I did not think now I will say like they weren't it wasn't like you know uh, I, I wouldn't say you know, uh, Eliza Schlesinger or whoever it was. It wasn't like the greatest comedy I'd ever heard, but at least they were trying. The joke he told me was, um, what happens when uh, a an Amish man falls in love with a Mennonite woman? And uh, the answer is uh, he drives her buggy because they drive buggy the Amish drive buggies and the Mennonites don't is the yes that's the source of the humor so it's a bit of a play on words but I was I was impressed that he gave it a shot I didn't get it in the book and I didn't know they drive they have buggies I didn't know what that was it's a different it's an exotic thing out in a country far away from me so we don't have (laughs) Amish people so I didn't know about the buggies thing but I thought I, I thought it must be something to do with that is that a buggy like they put babies in it is that what is that no no buggies are the horse and buggy so it's like a carriage they don't drive cars because they don't believe in gas-powered vehicles so yeah I should have actually that's a good point I should have had a little footnote to explain his his joke (laughs) (laughs) to to British people who who don't know (laughs) I think he made another joke about there was a sexual joke wasn't there oh he said something like uh uh well, he was one of like, you know, 14 kids or he's the youngest of the 14 kids. And I think he said something like his mother kept trying until she got she got it right, uh, which is totally 
uh, you know, they believe in humility and, and this was an incredibly prideful thing to say. So that was a sin. I could have busted him with his fellow Amish. Yeah. Well, I guess it just shows like no matter what collective unit you're in, you're, you're still an individual and this guy was an individual. Did you, did you learn much, you know, being around them about ways of living that you wanted to, you know, adopt for your own life? Well, I mean, I do think, uh, and I'm not, this is not an original thought, but you know, that social media has some serious downsides and being on, I mean, I really do think that the rise in sadness and depression and anxiety is due to the fact that we are seeing negative news from the moment we make up to the moment we go to bed. And Amos Smucker is not. Amos Smucker, <laughs> he doesn't read the paper. So he is he's only seeing, you know, what's in front of him. He's only seeing his his horse and buggy and he's very proud of his horses. And so yes, I mean it, it is not a new insight, but getting away from uh taking myself on offline is a is something I do strive to do. Uh I I do I feel that if I could just see the news once a day, like they used to get the morning newspaper or or the evening newspaper, I, I think feel we would be so much better off. Yeah. I th I think it's a I wonder if it's a mix of that and also just uh and again not an original thought but but the fact that they work uh so much you know regardless of the news if you're just working 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 you don't have time uh to be depressed and I think we we've come we've sort of going into this wally kind of age now where a lot of people are working from home sitting around they don't get the time away from their partners that they would that would sort of you know absence makes the heart grow fonder and and, and now just and I, I mean i had a, I had a period in um argentina bef around the time that that exorcist film when, when i made it and and it coming out and everything where i had very little to do because living was cheap out there um and i was i was sending out emails every day trying to get the next documentary made but it wasn't happening and i, I had a nice place out there because of the cheap standard of living and everything so i had a pool and everything and it was probably the most luxury by some distance of my life those three or four years uh but i did very little and i had i, I was i felt really low and I wasn't really watching the news any more than normal because I was in Argentina. Didn't you? It would just be, you know, some, yeah, nothing. I had a similar phenomenon when I was unemployed. I'd, I felt that I was weirdly, I felt somehow I was incredibly busy. Like every moment of the day was filled with doing errands or doing shopping. And mm. I was like, how can people have day jobs when there's so much to do? So it is that phenomenon of, of time, of, of, I guess our activities fill whatever space we're given. I used, I used to plan a shower. I'd be like, in about an hour and a half, I think I'm going to have a shower. And that was like a big event <laughs> in the day. Like, oh, I'm going to have to take this shirt off now. Oh, you know, get, get it all taken off. Where's the towel? Make sure, okay, the soap's over there. Got the whole thing going on. This was like a long process. And when it was finished, I was ready to go to sleep, you know, just after a long day of showering. And then you get up and shower again or go to the pool. If you go to the pool, you know, then you're going to have chlorine all over you. You got to get the sun cream on. And this is, you know, this is without even thinking of how I'm going to eat. 
you know, and get food <laughs> into my mouth. So I know what you mean. And then you, then you have days when you're like, like you know, working. I've got it at the moment with the YouTube channel and stuff. Uh, it's, it's 10 o'clock at night here. I've been working since whatever time in the morning. I'll be going to whatever time in the morning. And somehow I'm still being fed and I can, I can hear my, my fiance's voice in, imaginary voice in my ear now because she edits the podcast and she'll be saying, well, because I, I made the food. But <laughs> that does, that does it help. It doesn't what, just what, magically what, appear. <laughs> was it a relief for your wife like did you lead up to the end of the the bible um the bible escapades was it like oh god one week left did it feel that way oh yeah no she was uh she was very happy and i will say the i was nervous because my son had was very young at the time two years old and he had only known me with this huge beard uh, that was his only memory. So I thought he was going to not recognize me. So that was traumatic. Um, and, and when I did shave, he looked at me like, who the hell is this stranger? Who's this crazy man? He eventually got used to me. But, uh, but yeah, she was very relieved. I will say I had a weird sort of post traumatic, uh, I don't know, uh, post biblical part of depression because I was um, one advantage of being in a cult or being in a religion that's very strict is is the freedom from choice that uh, you know the paradoxical joy of not having to choose what to do every moment of the day because it is really laid out for you so when I didn't have that I felt kind of unmoored and unanchored and and a little um thrown off like so i can do anything now i can i can read this people magazine and look at women who are on you know wearing bathing suits this is weird so it was it was a little overwhelming for the first month or so after i got out of it that's fascinating to think of like how how the the mind rewires itself were you then able to fondle a pigeon egg or was it which way round is it with pigeon <laughs> eggs and fondling them <laughs> yeah i think the rule if i can remember is that you um that it, wait what is it it's it's a crazy rule in leviticus that if um a mother if you see a an egg from a mother and you pick it up then you wait what is it this is embarrassing please uh, apologize to your fiance if she has to cut this out because i can't even remember the rule but it does have to do with oh no now i'm just gonna look like an ignoramus yeah i can't (laughs) remember the rule it was about is a crazy rule about bird eggs and what you do when you fondle a bird egg and uh, and some people some super orthodox Jews, very few, but believe that you should fondle these bird eggs as sort of a mitzvah, as a, as a way to get good luck. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the exact rule because it was it was not one that I was going to continue to follow. When you type into Google fondling a pigeon egg Judaism, the first thing that comes up is a Wikipedia thing, Shiluach Haken or something, uh, the Jewish law derived from the Torah that enjoins one to scare away the mother bird before taking her young or her eggs. The there second is. thing is like a, a teen rabbi blog uh, saying AJ Jacobs, Year of Living Biblically, Velveteen... Rab- or maybe velveteen means something else that isn't about teenagers. Do you know what? Do you remember what that is? Velveteen. The velveteen rabbit was a a, bo- a children's book. 
Oh, so so somebody must have they've gone Velveteen Rabbi as a oh Velveteen Rabbi is I see it that's the blog. Well, that I am so honored that I am the second result on uh, on Egg Pond Link. That is wonderful. Yes. Okay. Now, just to be fair, I think that you know it's not as crazy a law as it might seem. If if I were going to steel man it, if I were going to take this, it is that it's it's cruel to take an egg from a bird while the bird is still there. So this is sort of an anti-animal cruelty law where like, you know, you want the eggs because you're hungry, but don't let the mother see it. Get the mother away so she doesn't have to witness the uh, the egg stealing uh, in person. So that is the steel manning of that law. I still find it a, a particularly specific law like again why not just say be kind to animals instead of <laughs> like shoo the mother away when you take the, the the egg but what are you gonna do yeah what are you gonna do um tell me the story about like the first time that you couldn't touch a woman who was giving you change because i i want to that was one of the ones where i laughed out loud and had to wake up my fiance and tell her uh a funny <laughs> thing had happened in, in my life while reading this book <laughs> yes this was awkward because as I mentioned earlier, you're not allowed to touch women when they're menstruating. And, and most women are not, you know, don't have a, a badge or anything and they don't tell you. So when I went to, uh, I think I was copying, uh, some of the Bible so that I could put it up. So I went to the, like the sort of the, the Xerox store and, and she tried to give me change. But I was worried that her fingers would touch my hand and that I, that would be impure. So I asked her to put the change on the on the counter and then I would scoop it up. And I think I said something like, you know, oh, sorry, I, I have the flu and I don't want to give it to you, which was a total lie. So I was sinning by trying to avoid one sin of touching an impure woman, I was committing another sin of lying. So it's very complicated trying to follow all of these things. I laughed out loud at that. I just I just found the absurdity of the whole thing so funny that you'd accidentally <laughs> done maybe even a worse sin than the original one trying to, trying to avoid it. Yeah. Uh, touching the coins and stuff and then god there's so much i've written that we don't ever even have time to get to there's so much like i i just i'm fascinated by by so much of this stuff because coveting was a huge part right how, how did you feel about coveting because that's so big in the bible coveting yeah they are they are obsessed with coveting and i i guess there are different definitions of coveting so um but but one is the sexual definition of coveting and um and so, yeah, how do you, I guess one of the big questions was how do you control emotions? Uh, because how do you, how do you stop yourself from coveting? And there, they did, some of the religious people did have interesting strategies that, uh, for controlling emotions. And I don't practice these, um, particular ones, but I do like the idea that you can, con that you can somewhat control your emotions. It's not like a free for all. You can't, but their strategy, for instance, if you see a beautiful woman, try to reframe it and delude yourself that it's your sister. 
And so that, like, you're looking at a beautiful woman and you're like, oh no, she's my sister. I can't have that kind of feeling. And then you get grossed out. And so you don't covet anymore. Uh, again, I don't do that particular one, but I do like the idea of, yeah, that just because you have an emotion doesn't mean you should just embrace it. Uh, emotions are not always a good thing. I suppose it's like getting the balance right, isn't it? I mean, that's that sort of Jordan Peterson thing of like, you know, be disciplined basically, right? And there's so much to being disciplined. And some of that coveting stuff, I guess, sounds a bit Buddhist to me about that, you know, just just be, just be instead of having to have things or people. Uh, but then I also imagine that a lot of shame has been created over the years from that exact kind of biblical stuff of, of you know, you shouldn't feel this way and it's wrong to feel a certain way, you know? Oh, that is so true. It is really a balance. Yeah. There is a lot of shame, and I do think it was a shame-based culture back then, which is something I'm not a big fan of. Um, but, uh, but I do, yeah, I agree with you, you know, uh, with the Buddhism, Stoicism, which I feel is in the same area of, um, you know, not being, not being swept away by every emotion that you feel, but having a little bit of distance. I, I am a fan of that in general. I want people to um, to get your book, The Year of Living, biblically. What else do you want to tell people about? Where should people go and like look you up and get your stuff and what you're working on at the moment? I am uh, the usual boring places, the internet. I'm at ajjacobs.com. Uh, I have uh, I'm on Twitter for now. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a it's a mess. But I'm at ajjacobs on Twitter, and um, and yeah, feel free to. I would love to hear, I love to hear ideas from people of, you know, what I should do next. I'm in the middle of a book now, but, you know, in a year or so, I'll, I'll have another crisis of what should I do next. So please email me if you're interested. Um, and, and also keep listening to, uh, to On the Edge with Andrew Gold, because it is, I love it. I am so, uh, delighted <laughs> to have this as, uh, as something to occupy many hours in my future. Oh, thank you so much. And now you're a part of the tapestry. I've got to say, yeah, you're one of my favorite guests. I, I just, I just, and I knew that as soon as I heard about you, just, just, I don't know how interesting it is for people. I don't know, but James Altucher, recent guest, and his producer, Jay, um, lovely, lovely man. And we just had these long car rides, just me and Jay from the center of wherever James lives to where, where, where he lives. Um, and he just kept saying, Oh, you've got to speak to AJ. You know, he lived as a, he was stoning people. And I just thought, who is this guy stoning people? <laughs> like, what? On <laughs> I, uh, and at first I didn't, I didn't understand that you might have been like a, a John Ronson or Sasha Baron Cohen or, or, or all the stuff I like to do. I didn't know. I just thought it's just some madman in my head. I just had some madman living like that and then I, I got to look you up and I thought oh it's just yeah perfect so I'm very happy and, oh, and thank, well, thank you, you. For, uh, thank you thank you for being on the edge and everybody please yeah do get his book get all of his books AJ Jacobs go to Twitter You're, you know he's got the puzzler about puzzles and, and the hardest puzzles Encyclopedia was the first one there's, there's loads you've written loads of books haven't you I have but I've been around a long time so uh, yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> they don't, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I hope to continue writing so yes I hope people buy enough books that I can continue writing because uh, I do enjoy my job um, but yeah it is uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy to be on your show so thank you
Thanks to my buddy, AJ Jacobs. I'm going to get him back on for sure. Maybe get him involved in a chat with a religious person or someone who's been in a cult. Guys, go out and get The Year of Living Biblically and peruse his many other works where AJ Jacobs immerses himself in the topic. Thanks to the new patrons. That's Renee and Charlotte. I will be making some changes to Patreon. I'm even thinking of getting into merch because people keep saying they want some on-the-edge stuff on YouTube. People call themselves edge hogs. They're the listeners or the viewers. Uh, so there'll be some stuff related to that. And maybe there'll be discounts for that on Patreon. I don't know. I just thought the bonus stuff was a bit... I, I never had anyone getting in touch going, God, I loved all that bonus stuff. So I'm going to look into how I develop that. But thank you anyway for coming on and supporting me there. Uh, to you newbies, uh, Renee and Charlotte and all the people who still support me there. As for Apple Reviews, that makes a huge difference to what kind of guests I can attract. Uh, I got an uh, well a disappointed four-star one from Cat Fat's husband uh, called Lost a Star. So it wasn't five stars, it was four stars they gave. I suppose I should be grateful for any, any star I can get. I love your podcasts, but you lost a five star to a four from not challenging Robert Barnes on your recent episode. Free speech is one thing, but you didn't challenge his checkered history with Alex Jones. Please research your guests and make them answer to challenging questions. I think that's fair enough. Um, what I would say in my defense of it, I mean, I understand that people won't always know what's going on with these things. I was on Sean Atwood's channel there. Something that I am going to be doing less of, by the way, as I do more of my own thing and make more sort of live streams and different things that will, will be just me doing stuff that I put on this podcast as well. But that was that and it was organised by the wonderful producer Ash Meikle and so we got to speak with Viva Fry and a few people and it was great, uh, Coleman Hughes and Ivory Hecker and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I only learn a, sort of a, a few minutes before often and Robert Barnes came in halfway through I was warned he might do, but I hadn't really done too much. But I did know that he he's a lawyer who represented Alex Jones on free speech. And I think Robert makes the point that, you know, it's the people that we dislike most, the people that are the most abhorrent, who really need our defence um, for our justice system and fair trials to work. And I think that's a fair point. So, you know, I, I agree with it. I think, you know, Hitler should have a lawyer and somebody should stand up and, and and do that job. That's how the justice system works. And free speech is an interesting topic. Well, we did a whole debate about it and you can go back and listen to that. That's my defense on it. But I also understand you wanted a bit more pushback. I don't tend to do too much pushback, but a uh, point taken. Fair enough. Hope you still enjoy the podcast. And then Rumier from Australia gave five stars, said new fan. Good eye from Australia is what they said. Getting a new perspective on current affairs. Thanks for a great podcast. Well, thank you very much, Rumier. What a lovely comment that is. Anyway, coming up are James Altucher and then the founder of the Aryan Brotherhood, a racist prison gang, dropping in. So I probably don't challenge him enough either, to be honest. But I mean, you know, it's a racist prison gang. What can you do? Don't want them to come and kill me for being Jewish. Um, and yes, and after that, there is a big one that a lawyer is currently looking over, but hopefully that's coming out quite soon. See you all then. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.